Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. Ticks are small spider-like creatures which feed on the blood of birds and mammals, including humans. They vary in size, usually between 1mm to 1cm long, and are usually found in woodland, moorland, grassy areas and gardens. Infected ticks can carry the bacterial infection Lyme disease. Julia Knight is from the charity Lyme Disease UK. It's important to remember that not all ticks in the UK carry this bacteria. It's actually quite a small proportion. But the problem is they don't carry a label saying I'm infected or not. So the best thing to do is prevent a tick bite and therefore you minimise any chance of contracting Lyme disease. I understand ticks don't fly or jump, but climb onto animals or humans as they brush past. A tick does an activity called questing. They literally sit on the top of blades of grass or shrubbery and they wait for a meal to go by. So say that's you and you walk by, you've got your shorts on, you brush by the grass, they brush onto you and then what they do is they sort of walk about on your body to find a nice warm place to embed themselves. Often the nice warm places are the places you don't check regularly, which is why ticks can be What might distinguish a bite from an infected tick that may be carrying Lyme disease? It's a very specific rash to Lyme disease. This rash takes at least three days to appear, but can take some weeks. Generally isn't itchy, hot or painful and gradually spreads outwards. And it can have the appearance of a bullseye. The difficulty is that it doesn't always show typically, so it can be a solid rash. It can be like a bruise-like appearance, and it appears different on dark skins. But about 30% of people with Lyme disease do not produce a rash. So the other symptoms to look out for are flu-like symptoms, headache, stiff neck, sore joints and muscles, swollen glands, in some people generally feeling very unwell and in some people and this can happen with children as well some people develop a facial palsy so there's a whole raft of symptoms which could be very confusing for the doctor to avoid being bitten by a tick i see a whole list of steps we can take keeping to footpaths and avoiding long grass when out walking wearing appropriate clothing such as a long sleeve shirt and trousers tucked into your socks wearing light coloured fabrics that may help you spot a tick on your clothes there are insect repellent sprays and lotions we can apply to exposed skin most importantly do a thorough tick check when you get home if there are bits of you you can't see and you've got a partner check one another because they do like to go in warm places that you can't always see the other thing is pets can pick up ticks so it's really important that you get advice from your vet about tick prevention for your pets and if you find a tick on you what's the best way of getting it out of you there are two ways of removing it one is with a tick removal tool that you can buy really cheaply from outdoor shops and it's like a little fork-like plastic thing that you slide under the tick turn it slightly and pull upwards the other method a pair of fine tip tweezers and then you grab the tick gently as close to the skin as possible and pull straight upwards If you are infected by a tick that's carrying Lyme disease, is it treatable? 
Lyme disease is treatable, yeah. It should be treated with antibiotics. It really does need to be diagnosed and treated fairly quickly. And when diagnosis is delayed, that's when people can go on to have longer term symptoms. People maybe don't realise that they've been bitten. There's quite a lack of awareness amongst the public and some frontline health professionals about Lyme disease. So it can be difficult to diagnose. But What we're looking for is to prevent the bite in the first place and for people to be aware what to look for if they start these symptoms and get medical help quickly, get the antibiotics, then you have the best possible chance that you won't have any long-term symptoms at all. My grateful thanks to Julian Knight. To find out more and to link through to Lyme Disease UK, log on to our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on health. Feel very best of health. As the recent World Sleep Day initiative reminded us, there's nothing quite like a good night's sleep to benefit our health and well-being. But statistics show as many as 16 million UK adults suffer from sleepless nights. A third say they have insomnia and two-thirds suffer from disrupted sleep, with nearly a quarter managing no more than five hours a night. And as Lisa Artis from the Sleep Charity explains, for those of us that want to sleep better, the solution isn't always straightforward. If someone tells you about eating your five portions of fruit and veg a day, you can really make that conscious effort to put that fruit and veg into your daily eating plan. But with sleep, if I said I'll give you £10 million if you fall asleep right now, 99% chance that they can't do that. That person wants to sleep probably more than anything in the world, but they've got those unhelpful thoughts and behaviours around sleep or they've got really bad habits that they're doing. How much sleep do we need? There is no one size fits all. There is a general consensus that seven to eight hours is around the norm for a healthy adult. But we say anything between six and ten, depending on so many different variations around work and your home life. If you are regularly getting less than six, it is a cause for concern because it does ramp up that flight or fight response that we do have. There are lots of the people who can absolutely function perfectly well on six and a half hours and they shouldn't be stressing that they need to get eight because actually trying to force sleep is actually going to start of a sleep issue. Is it a case of quality over quantity when it comes to sleep? Absolutely. I really want people to not get hung up on numbers. We sleep in cycles and within that cycle you go through different stages of sleep and it's really important that we get all those different stages so that we feel refreshed. What happens when people don't sleep well is often they don't get as much deep sleep or as much REM sleep and they're the two stages of sleep that are very important for things like growth, development, memory consolidation, learning. You provide help and support and run courses on how we can get a better night's sleep. What are the top tips that you pass on? Three key things I always look at is really keeping regular hours, trying to go to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time all the time. It really does kind of program that body and that mind to sleep better. And look at your bedroom environment. Quite a quick fix for some people. Is there anything there that's stopping you sleeping? Is there like street lights coming in through the window? If there is, get some curtains and a blackout blind. Is there some external noises? Is your bed still fit for purpose? Is that place an inviting place to come to bed? because what happens when people really struggle to sleep is they really come to dread bedtime and actually that's not what we want it to be it should be a sanctuary and my other top tip is really about that wind down routine before bed you know we drill it into our children about they need this bedtime routine where they have their bath and they put the pajamas on they have a story and then as we grow up we don't do any of that stuff anymore make that time before bed to wind down process the day relax 
then equally, there are lots of other things you can do looking at like your diet. Are you eating lots of big, heavy processed meals quite close to bedtime? You know, some people naturally have to eat later because of work and things like that. Are you using alcohol as a sleep aid? If you are using alcohol to make you feel relaxed, ready for bed, that's when there's an issue. Thinking about exercise, try not too close to bedtime. And if it is close to bedtime, it needs to be more like yoga or Pilates or something like that. When should we see our GP if we're concerned about our sleep? If you've been struggling with your sleep, for more than three nights a week for more than three months you should definitely be seeing your GP because that's starting to creep into like long-term insomnia if you snore an awful lot or that maybe you're making some kind of like gasping noises speak to your GP there is a condition called obstructive sleep apnea there is treatment for that and if there's any other kind of underlying signs around mental health or pain or tingling sensations in legs or anything like that we would always urge people to see the GP My thanks to Lisa Artist. We have more on Sleep Together with a link through to the Sleep Charity on our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health. Feel very best of health. Brain tumours are the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40. Over 12,000 people are diagnosed each year with a primary brain tumour. Thousands more are diagnosed with secondary brain tumours which are not recorded. Brain tumours are the largest cause of preventable or treatable blindness in children. They reduce life expectancy by, on average, 27 years, the highest of any cancer. Although they're rare, the charity behind a public and healthcare awareness campaign are urging us to know the symptoms. The Brain Tumor Charity's Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. David Jenkinson, explains why. In a survey of around a 1,000 people, we found out that nearly three-quarters of them couldn't name a single symptom of a brain tumor. You're also aiming this campaign at healthcare professionals. Why is that? As you say, Paul, they are rare. There's around 33 people diagnosed with a brain tumor a day. And we believe that if we're able to identify tumors sooner, that surgeons will have a better opportunity to remove the tumor and that the drugs will have a better chance to work. And we need to do more work in all of those areas, but we can't do that without getting a faster diagnosis, allowing people to not bounce between the GP and sometimes the hospital multiple times before they get a diagnosis. It's a disease that a general practitioner may only see a handful of times in their entire career. And for a pediatric brain tumor, they may only see one. And it's very difficult for a general practitioner who's seen lots and lots of people with lots of different diseases to stay on top of every disease. So it's about helping them to understand the signs and symptoms that patients might present with to help their patients to have the surety of a diagnosis. And whilst it sounds odd, we hear that actually getting the diagnosis can be in some ways a relief and they know that there's a path forwards. So what are the symptoms we should be aware of? It's things like headaches. A headache which is worse in the morning is a more specific sign of a brain tumour. It's things like nausea. It's things like dizziness, memory loss, change in personality, fuzziness, cognitive changes, persistent symptoms and combinations of them. 
And those symptoms can be different for different age groups. So with children, for example, particularly babies, you might see an increase in the circumference of the head. There are a range of these that are available on our website, headsmart.org.uk, which are broken down to different age groups. With research showing there's a lack of understanding about brain tumours, alongside funding research for better treatments, I understand a key focus of your organisation's work is to provide help and support to the brain tumour patient community. We offer a support service which has everything right from information on the website where over 1.2 million people access that every year through peer support that allow people who are living through the same things to communicate and share their stories with each other and support each other through to counselling on a one-to-one basis and benefit clinics as well as our own support team that are able to answer the phone and offer support to people as they are asking the questions that we We know everyone has. We don't know much about brain tumours in the general population. And so it's a really steep learning curve once you've been told that maybe your loved one has a brain tumour. So we're there to help you through that. My grateful thanks to Dr. David Jenkinson. For further information on brain tumour and to link through to the Brain Tumour Charity, log onto our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health, on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health.